grace and peace, love and mercy from God our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation this morning. The gospel reading we heard just a moment ago, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, especially these words. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said to him, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, was the winter of 1976, my senior year in high school. Monday nights had become absolutely untouchable. Why? Because the entire nation gathered around their TV sets. There was a miniseries that had been hyped and hyped and hyped and hyped. Rich man, poor man. It was really the beginning of all of the TV miniseries that were so crazy popular at the end of the 70s and the beginning of the 80s. Rich Man, Poor Man set every kind of television record that you could possibly imagine. It's all anybody talked about until about a year later when uh, a little thing named Roots came along and then everybody forgot about Rich Man, Poor Man. Why was Rich Man, Poor Man so popular? Well... Everybody loves a rich man, poor man kind of a story. And in this uh, particular miniseries, Peter Strauss and Nick Nolte are brothers, the Jordash brothers, sons of a German immigrant. They both work really hard. It's just one ends up poor and one ends up rich. You would think that the rich guy would have everything going his way, right? Well, things didn't always turn out that way. And you would think that the poor guy was always wallowing in grief and misery. Well, he was sometimes, but not all the time. Things don't always turn out the way we expect. Things don't always turn out the way the world creates an image or a scenario. Isn't that how it is today? We still love a rich man, poor man kind of a story. A rags to riches story where somebody picks themselves up by their bootstraps and becomes wildly successful. And the people who are rich and famous and wildly successful, come on, admit it. When one of them takes a tumble, when one of them loses everything, or there's some big wild scandal, there's at least a little bit of you that is like, yeah, yeah. They got what they had coming. They got what they deserved. The world would teach us 
that being rich is equated with being evil. The world would teach us that being poor, especially if you're a victim, is somehow good or lionized. It's amazing how much that has changed just in my lifetime. Back in the olden days, if you were rich, you were considered blessed by God. And if you were poor, somehow God had forgotten you or maybe even cursed you. Being poor wasn't necessarily a bad thing. You, you looked up to those who were successful and you wanted to work hard and you wanted to achieve because, especially in this country, if you work hard, you can pretty much be and accomplish whatever you want to be. Times have changed. A rich man, poor man story, it still sells. It makes good drama, good TV. It makes good politics. Today we have before us the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And don't we want to sit back and kind of go, yeah, Lazarus. You had nothing in life. You were poor and despised and looked down upon. And now you're elevated. And this rich man, we don't even have a name for him. This rich man, he was rich. He only thought of himself. Yeah, God, give it to him. My friends, this parable is not necessarily about riches or being poor. The financial end of this is almost a sidebar. This parable is not about being rich or being poor. This parable is about being saved. Now, I know Lutherans don't use that language and that talk very often, but that's exactly what this parable is about. It's about being saved. This parable, and especially the last three verses, are about the importance of the Word of God in your life. The importance of the Bible in your life. There is nothing as certain in this world as the Word of God. Did you hear that? Mark it. Remember it. There is nothing as certain in this world as the Word of God. You want to rely on your stuff? It'll let you down. You want to rely on your portfolio? There'll be lots of ups and downs. You want to rely on being a victim? People get tired of that very quickly. You want to rely on what you think, what you feel, what you emote? That's as changing as the weather in Nebraska in June. My friends, there is nothing as certain as the Word of God. 
You hear it. Intellectually, you know it. And yet it is so hard. It is so hard to put what we know and what we believe into practice. It is so hard to crack open the Word of God and to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. It is so much easier to binge watch on Netflix or to scroll on Facebook or Twitter. I came across an amazing statistic this week. It's a good thing you're sitting down. The average person who has a cell phone spends four hours a day on that cell phone. The average person in America who has a cell phone touches the screen 22,000 times. I'm not making up those numbers, folks. Maybe you're one of them, or maybe you're kind of like me, and you just are enthralled when you see people doing that. 22,000 times? Can you imagine that? And that's the average. Imagine the person that only touches it 22 times a day. My friends, there is nothing more sure and certain in this world than the Word of God. But we are always looking for something better. We're chasing after the shiny new toy. We want something more sure than the Word of God. And it doesn't exist. It never has. And it never will. Oh, pastor. If only God would have some sort of a mass revival where there would be all kinds of miracles, scientifically verifiable miracles. People would see these miracles and then, then they'd believe in God. Then they would be converted. Better yet, let's have somebody who is verifiably, scientifically, clinical, clinically dead come back to life. Then, certainly then, there would be a mass conversion. People would believe in God. They would believe that there is only one God in this world. How about this? Maybe we could have appearances all over the world, again, scientifically verifiable appearances by angels. And angels could bring a message a message directly from God giving hope and peace and comfort and encouragement to a world lost in sin. Then people would believe. Then people would be converted. How about this? Instead of God hiding in heaven, maybe God could just make an appearance here on earth. Maybe He could show up. God here visiting us on earth and he could tell us what we need to do to be saved. Then people will believe. Then people will convert to Christianity.
My friends, there is nothing more certain than the Word of God. People have wanted something more, something extra, something special, something in addition to the Word of God forever. All of these things that I have talked to you about, all of these what-ifs and suppose, all of these things have happened. Over the course of time, over the course of history, they have all taken place. And there was no mass conversion. There was no stampede to believe in the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Think of Moses and Pharaoh. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Water turned to blood. Gnats, flies, frogs, burning hail. All of these things came. And finally, when the firstborn of all Egypt died, Pharaoh let the children of Israel go, but he still would not believe the word of God. His heart was stubborn. His heart was hard. Miracles are not enough, my friend. Unless you believe that these miracles are from God for you and they point you to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. If only, if only the dead would rise. Tell that to Lazarus. Lazarus was dead. He was in the tomb for four days. Jesus called him back to life. Lazarus, come forth. What happened? The Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the people that hated Jesus, they plotted and conspired. What? To kill Lazarus. To get rid of the proof. My friends, the scriptures are full of eyewitness accounts of the prophets, the apostles, and even Jesus himself raising people from the dead. The dead coming back to life will convert no one unless you believe that that miracle points forward to the greatest miracle of all, the mother of all miracles, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ for you and for salvation. God's word teaches us time after time after time when God sent his angels, divine messengers, to bring a message to his people. And more often than not, the message of the angels was rejected. God sent angels to Lot and his family in Sodom. Was there a mass conversion? Oh, there was a mass gathering, all right. Let's, let's capture these strange visitors. Let's rape them and have our way with them. My friends, it takes more than a visit from an angel. 
unless you realize that angels are divine messengers from God, serving God and His creation. My friends, if only God Himself would appear, He has. Many appearances throughout the Old Testament. But what I'm talking about here is the appearance of God. The incarnation of God. Where God takes on flesh and blood. Makes His dwelling inside the womb of the Blessed Virgin. He is born. Places Himself under God's law. He performs miracles. Signs and wonders. Teaching and showing that He is the one. The Savior from sin. When He is baptized by John in the Jordan River. Everybody hears the thundering voice from God. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Was there a mass conversion at that time? No. In fact, many of those same people, only a few months later, would be shouting out, Crucify Him. Crucify Him. My friends, God's Word for today, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, teaches us that signs and wonders and miracles will not cut it. There is nothing more sure and certain than the Word of God. God's gift to you. God's gift to you, pointing you to Jesus Christ. His life, His death, His resurrection. There alone is your salvation. There alone is your comfort, your joy, your peace, and your certainty. Your certainty in good times, in bad times, and especially at the time of death. God's word for you is powerful. It turns your blindness, your blindness towards your own sin, into eyes that are open to see the sin in your life and to see your need for a Savior, Jesus, for you. God's Word is powerful. Powerful to convert. Powerful to convict. Powerful to heal your broken heart. Powerful to heal your sin-sick life. God's Word is powerful to awaken you from the death of sin to new life in Jesus Christ. God's Word is powerful to crush your rock-hard, stony, lifeless heart, and to give you a new heart, a clean heart, a beating heart. God's Word is powerful to fill you with the peace and comfort that the world cannot give. To fill you with peace and comfort that riches or poorness or victimhood cannot give. Only in the sure and certain Word of God. My friends, all of us are burdened with the chain of sin that holds us down and keeps us down day after day after day. 
The power of God's word and his call to repentance breaks that chain of sin and allows us to be free. Free in him. And if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. My friends, there is nothing more sure and certain than the word of God. Nobody can take it away from you. God has given you his word. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. By the grace of God, we have it written down on pages that we can read and mark and study and memorize. The word of God is life. Whether you're a rich man or a poor man or like the vast majority somewhere in between, God's word is life, true life, everlasting life for you. Hear it, cling to it, believe it, love it, live it. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts, our minds, our ears, our lives, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.